0: as the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, uphold me according unto thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Amen. If there's one thing this morning, uh, no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter what part of life you're in, if you're saved, then you ought to be able to say this morning, I'm glad I'm saved amen uh, there's been times where I was glad I uh, had this going on you know I was, I was glad of this and then there's been times in my life where pretty much every situation maybe I wasn't so glad with that you know there was times where maybe I wasn't so glad that my dad was my dad after he just got done discipline me or I wasn't so glad that I had this job when I you know or I was in this school or I was in this thing or that thing at different times in my life there's one thing that's been a constant And that is this, I'm glad that I'm saved. Amen. There is no substitute for knowing that you're saved. None. There's nothing in life that can give you the sort of peace that that entails. And there's no one in life that will give you the sort of life that can only be got by becoming a child of God. Amen. Psalm chapter 36 this morning. Uh, I had originally thought I would continue with some uh, sermons on our theme this morning, on growing together. Um, thankful for uh, the Lord helping us last week, and I, I'm looking for what the Lord's going to do throughout the year as we look at those thoughts. And I've got a, a lot of things the Lord's kind of put on my heart that I've been looking at. But this morning, the Lord kind of took me in a different direction, and so I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit if He'll, uh, if he'll help me. In uh, Psalm chapter 36, I actually preached uh, Friday night through, in Psalm chapter 38 on the heavy burden of sin uh, to the young people who were there at that at, at Grace Baptists Youth Retreat, and I'll say this: sin is a heavy burden, and it's a burden that you're not meant to bear, Amen. And if you're here this morning and you have unrepented sin in your life, uh, you ought to just lay it down, Amen. You ought to get done with that mess. It's not worth the trouble, Amen. Taken from someone who has at times held on to sin. It is not worth the trouble. Amen. Quit carrying it. Amen. That was just a freebie. Psalm chapter 36, David is writing here. Uh, We see here at the beginning, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And that tells us something very simple about David. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a good man. Uh, David was a spiritual man. And David... What, now at the exact moment of this time as to whether he was king yet probably not but it's not it's not real sure but I'll say this he was anointed to be king and that's who he was to be the greatest king Israel ever had but from David's point of view he was only ever when he was small until he hit a point of sin in his life and that that attack came upon him at this point in his life he saw himself very clearly he was the servant of the Lord and as long as David maintained that view of himself he was in good shape a servant is not someone of any status you understand that a servant is known only for the person whom they serve their identity is wrapped up in who they serve that's that's what it is to be a servant is to be under someone else not not necessarily like you know say if i'm at my job i'm under my boss or or you know at school i'm under my teachers not like that a servant is someone whose purpose is to serve a specific person or a specific group of individuals. And when the Bible said David was the servant of the Lord, it's saying this, David saw himself as this, someone under and beneath his God. Amen. That's a meek spirit. That's the same spirit, by the way, that Jesus had. Amen. And he was the son of God. He made himself a servant. That's what he did. And here in this passage, David is writing from the perspective of being that, a servant of the Lord. And in verse number one, it says this, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found, or until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise... And to do good, he deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Now, in that part of the of the scripture, David is describing someone else. Okay, we'll look at that here in a second. Verse number five, he says, "This thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth under the clouds." Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is Thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of Thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of Thy house, and Thou shalt make them drink of the river. Of thy pleasures, We're going to stop right there. We'll go through this whole chapter. There's only 12 verses and we'll, we'll hit each one quickly this morning. But as I, I read through this passage some time ago, I, I underlined a few of these verses and I wrote over on to the right side in the margins of my Bible here. In his house, there is fatness and there are pleasures and there is true satisfaction. This morning, I want to preach on this thought, if the Lord will help me, The abundant satisfaction in the house of God. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your many, many blessings. Lord, for allowing us to be here in this place. God, I pray if you would that you'd help me, God, to preach your word. Help me, God, to have fervency of the Holy Spirit today. Help me to have clarity of speech and thought concerning the word of God. And I pray that every heart and every ear and every mind that is here this morning would open themselves to what thus saith the word of God. Lord, that we would see the truth of your Bible today. That we would understand the fruit and the wondrous gifts of the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to see that there is no life like a life lived for you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. David here, as we see there in the the pretext there, The psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, is writing from the perspective of a saint, a follower of God, a servant of the Lord. So he is writing this passage from the perspective of someone who loves the Lord, who knows the Lord, and who serves the Lord. Can we all agree? Amen. So when David is writing that, and there in that first verse he says this, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. You might say, well, does that mean that the transgression of the wicked is in David's heart? Well, I'll say this. We are all sinful beings, and we all deal with fears, and we all deal with temptations, and we all deal with transgressions. Amen. And the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But I don't believe that is the meaning of the text this morning. What I believe the the Word is trying to tell us is this, because throughout the rest of these first four verses, uh, David is going to refer to he, he. Someone a specific person and when he says he calls them by name in the first verse when he calls them the wicked And then he begins to use pronouns to refer to him in verses 1 through 4 His and he that tells me that David is talking about someone else And this isn't one of those situations where it's like I have a friend uh, Who's experiencing these issues? No, it's not that I believe David's talking about someone else specifically in fact Uh, I believe that he is specifically, in his mind, thinking of a certain individual. And I'll show you why I believe that. I have no idea who it is. But it is notable that his language is singular in verses 1 through 4, referring to a person who he has called wicked. And then in verses 11 and 12, he's going to talk about the wicked as a group of people. So there's a difference between singular, someone who is wicked, and quote-unquote the wicked right one is very vague and they and them out there who are the enemies of god and one he's talking about a very specific person and he says some specific and intimate things about them and what i want you to see here first is the sinful path of the fallen in verses one through four and i call them the fallen because i believe the individual in verses one through four is someone that david at one point in his life saw living as a servant of the lord But now, they have become wicked. They have been overtaken in a fault. Brother Tim talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Now, obviously, this is written from an Old Testament perspective, and this is not the era of grace, and so the language is a little different. But the idea is still the same. Just because you're here this morning does not mean you will always be here. Just because you are serving God today does not mean that you will always be serving God. Some are fallen by the wayside and that's what i want to talk to you about this morning and show you here in this thought concerning the sinful path of the wicked let me hurry through these first things here first i want you to see as david says uh in verse number one he said the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of god before his eyes it tells me david is considering in his heart the wicked man someone this individual this wicked person he is thinking about them He is concerned for them. And when he thinks about them, he thinks about what they're doing. That is the transgression. You see that? He said, the transgression of the wicked is saying to my heart that he has no fear of God before his eyes. That's what he's saying. This one who has committed sin, David, is considering him. And he says, man, this person who has gone out and is doing wicked things, that's a transgression, to transgress is is like doing a crime against someone In this particular case, the person that is being uh, the, the crime is being committed against is God because sin is an offense before God, right? So the transgression is this person has offended God. David is saying that in his heart. He's saying, man, this guy has no fear of the Lord. So the sinful path of the fallen is a disrespectful path. A Christian who will live in open sin is a Christian who is openly disrespectful toward God. Can we agree? Would you say that God has proven His love toward us? The Bible says God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Has God proven His love for us? Yes. Why do we love Him? John said we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. God has proved His love for us. He's proved His blessings on us. He saved us from hell. He's. Given us wonderful things. So to then trod underfoot the grace of God, as Paul said, to like a dog returning to his vomit and to go back out into sin after having been shown the righteousness of God is is incredibly disrespectful. Right? It's disrespectful. It's It's an act that shows no fear and the fear of God is a respectful reverencing fear. It is acknowledging His position as the God of heaven and that he is deserving of our honor, our respect, and our fear. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's what the Bible says. And Paul, or excuse me, Paul wrote those words, I believe, about being, uh, falling in the hands of a living God, because I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But the fact of the matter stands that David is writing very simply, as he considers this man, he said, There's no fear of the Lord before his eyes. He's not looking at his life and thinking, I need to be careful. God is watching, God cares. By the way, for someone who has been saved, to so go out there and act like God doesn't care and God doesn't know what I'm doing is foolish. You ought to know better than that. God sees his eyes. They behold the wicked and the good. He sees it all, right? That's him. It's a disrespectful path. It is a detesting path. In verse number two where it says this, For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. You know what? people tend to be hateful when they're prideful amen y'all have seen a christmas carol and in a christmas carol the main character ebenezer scrooge is a hateful old cuss that's what he is right i mean he's a curmudgeon right bah humbug hateful mean to everybody why because he's so full of pride He thinks everybody is beneath him. You go and you read that story, and he talks about how we ought to just let the homeless die and decrease the surplus population. What a bright ray of sunshine, right? How do you get that place? By flattering yourself. Man, you sure are good. You ever, y'all seen them? Now, Jace, I'm going to say something, okay? Don't get offended. But these boys now, these young boys, they want to let their hair get a little big on the top, right? Cooper, my, my, I was going to say nephew, my cousin, Tony's boy, he let his hair get up so out of control, and I'd see him all the time doing this. they go, you ever see him do, like that? Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. And when they do that, you know what I think? Man, you think you're pretty, don't you? I, not you, I know you don't, I know you would never. But you know, Cooper, my cousin, I'd say, boy, you sure do think you're good looking, don't you? And he'd be like, well, you know, because he's a big goo." But you know, you see that, and you see a young man, he's athletic, or you see a, a young girl, and she's got long, pretty hair, and she'll, you know, she's all make, make up, and she, you know, they, they just kind of get to thinking, because they hear it a lot, man, you sure are pretty, you sure are handsome, and then they go in front of the mirror, and they're, you know, nah, I don't do that anymore, because mirrors don't lie, okay, at least not the ones I've got. I look in the mirror, and I think, God sure has been good to you, amen, <laughs> it's, a, it's a miracle of God that you're married and have children. Amen. The God has given you a family and it's just, it's a blessing. But say amen. Thank you. Amen. And you know what? Some of y'all guys in here, y'all would be saying the same thing. Amen. Amen. I won't go any further with that. Hallelujah. But I'll say this the path of flattering yourself, all it does is lifts you up and causes you to look down on others until the sin of the self flatterer makes them to become hateful, full of hate. Full of disdain for others, full of detesting and looking down on others. It's a detesting path that flattering yourself will eventually get you to a place where you think you are better than others. Now that is hilarious because I know me, and if I know me, I know you know you. Amen. And if I know me, you know what I know? I ain't worth much. For me to think I'm worth much, I've got a lot of myself. Amen. That's what flattering is, by the way. There's a difference between flattering and a compliment. Flattering is saying something that don't matter if it's true or not, you're just trying to puff someone up. And that's the only way you're going to puff yourself up because there's no truth about my goodness. Amen. And David's looking at this man he said, this man has begun to flatter himself so much that he now hates other people. He is hateful toward everyone because of his high elevated view of himself. Let me hurry. It's a deceitful path. In verse 3 he said, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. Amen. He's he's become a liar. You ever known anybody who just soon lies, tell the truth? You don't wake up that way. Flattering yourself and and continuing down the path that is about me, me, me will cause you to lie because lying is is almost always for the sake of self-preservation and self-promotion. Right? That's why people create online profiles and put pictures that are 10 years old because they want to lie about the way they look so that they can attract the looks of a boy or right? They meet in person. Well, they didn't look like their picture. Turned out she was a 35-year-old man, and that wasn't what I expected, <laughs> right? People lie. The further you get into this sin, the more those things will begin to grow in your life. You'll become hateful. You become a liar. You become deceitful. It's a declining path. So this, he had left off to be wise and to do good. That word left off means he quit. So here's what David said at one time this man was wise and doing good but now he's a liar he is hateful amen y'all see that he's disrespectful toward god and he is on a declining path now he thinks because he looks himself he thinks oh i'm going up but the truth is he's going straight down he doesn't know it he has stopped seeking wisdom he has stopped listening to the truth, and he has left off doing good. This is the declining path. It's a deceitful path. The words of his mouth are iniquity. It's a declining path. He's left off to be wise. It's a devising path where it said he deviseth mischief upon his bed. It's a disgusting path where it said he setteth himself in a way that is not good, and he abhorreth not evil. To abhor is to hate. Now, that told us he has become hateful, but you know what he don't hate? Things he ought to hate. Evil. He is calling evil good and good evil and he's gotten so mixed up in his life that he's walked away from doing any good and David looks at him and in his heart he says this, he's got no fear of God. This is the sinful path of the fallen one who has walked away from God and has allowed the lies of the world and of self to take them to a place where they no longer resemble the person they used to be. They have left off doing good. Used to, they were faithful to church. Used to, they were happy to go to the special meeting. Used to, they would stand and sing. And used to, they'd be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Used to, they'd read their Bible. Used to, they'd give out a gospel tract. Used to, they'd stand and give a testimony. Used to, they'd go to the altar and get right with God. But now they are nothing like that. Now they are shells of that. And they flatter themselves, and they tell themselves they're good. But the truth is, they have taken such a path of sin that even though they used to do good, And some might would even used to call them wise. They've left off of that. And they've started down a destructive, sinful path. So many people sit in here in churches like ours. And they sing the hymns. And they hear the prayers. And they might even pray. And they they go to the altar. And they get saved. and, And they hear the good things of God. And then they let the devil and the flesh tell them it's better out there. None of them have ever discovered that to be true. No matter what flattering lies, they may tell themselves, give it time. I don't know how many people I have sat with and talked to said, I wish I'd have never gone down this path. I can't tell you one this morning who said, man, I wish I'd have never given my whole life to God. Stayed in church, served the Lord, and done everything I could for Him. They say this, man, it ain't always been easy, but I'll tell you what, God has always been with me. Amen. You know what David says? He looked at that one and he said, I'm considering in my heart and I think, there's no fear of God. And he's gone down a destructive path. And when we get to verse 5, David begins to consider this man who had left the path of God and was now going on a declining path that was taking him toward destruction, he then began to consider where he was. The servant of the Lord. And he said this in verse number 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. And David began to consider the satisfying provisions of the house of God. He thought about that sinful path of the wicked, of the the fallen, this man who'd gone the wrong way. But now as he began to look at himself, and he began to look around himself, and you know what? David wasn't always in a good place. He might have even been in a cave when he wrote this. But he began to consider what it's like to be a part of the house of God. And when I say the house of God, this is the house of God. We're in the house of God right now. And it is this place. But it's more than that. We are his building, the Bible says. We are his building. The house of God is a household. It's not four walls and a roof. It's people. It's us. It's this. It is walking with God. It's it's being a part of the church. Now say this. You can't be in fellowship with the church without going to church. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So the Bible commands us as part of the church to go to church. And that is true. But this building is not the church. We are. Those who are walking with God and serving God and are saved by God are part of the church. Now, this man in verse one through four, he has now become apart from the walk of God. He has entered into a path of sin. And did you know as a Christian, you can still do that? You can still choose a path that will lead you to destruction. But as David looked at his way, at his life, and where he was as a servant of God, the first thing he had to say is this Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Because here's the truth. His mercy is in the house of God. And without His mercy, there are no other blessings. Amen. Before David could think about all the wonderful things of God in his life, he had to think about one pure and clear and true thing, and that's His mercy. You know why? Because it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That's what the Bible says in Lamentation chapter three, verse twenty-two. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. Psalm one hundred three eleven says this: For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. You know what that tells me about that man who is walking away from God. David is looking at him and saying, "Man, you are trying the mercies of God, because you've got no fear." But His mercies are great. His mercies are high above. They are wonderful and huge and limitless toward those that fear Him. God's mercies are here. His faithfulness is here. It said, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Psalm 119.90 says this, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. In that same verse there in Lamentations 3.22, where it said, His mercies fell, his mercies, it's of his mercy were not consumed because his uh, compassions fell not, says this, they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Here's what David said: God is merciful, and God is faithful. As David considered the unfaithfulness of his associate, he could not help but consider the faithfulness of God. Amen. But the Bible said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. As David looked around himself there in service to the God of heaven, where he was, he said this, Man, God sure is faithful. This is coming from a man who ran for his life from those who were supposed to be his friends. This is coming from a man who slept in caves and hid, who was anointed to be the future king of Israel and then entered into years of trials and tribulation. You know what he said? God sure is faithful. Amen. Because here's the fact this morning. Inside the household of God, His faithfulness is here. How wonderful it is that God is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. That His faithfulness is it reaches, that it reaches unto the clouds. What does that mean? It's huge. It's so big it can't be measured. It's so grand that it can't be understood. That Why would God be faithful to me when I am unfaithful to Him? Why don't you answer that this morning? Tell me, why would God be faithful to you when you've not been faithful to Him? Have you been faithful to read your Bible as the Word tells us to do? Have you been faithful to pray without ceasing as the Word tells us to do? Have you been faithful about being a witness and telling others and spreading the Gospel as the Word tells us to do? Have you been faithful not to sin? Because can I tell you, I have failed every one of those things I just said. And in spite of my unfaithfulness, He stays faithful amen i'm afraid christians have begun to become ungrateful for the faithfulness of god right now i'm talking about god's faithfulness to you when you were yet a sinner he died for you jesus did And then not only that, but what the Bible said, he had declared the end from the beginning. He knows everything you're going to do. He is the Alpha and the Omega, which means when he saved you, he knew how dumb you were going to be. When he saved me, he knew how dumb I was going to be. At eight years old, you know what, at an eight-year-old, I hadn't done a whole lot. But he knew as the years went on, that list of dumb things I had done was going to grow And as long as i live i'm pretty sure i'll be adding things to that list dumb things paul has done right and yet in full knowledge of all the goofy foolish wicked and rebellious things i would do he still saved me why because his faithfulness reaches under the clouds it is greater than your faithfulness it is greater than your ability amen God is more faithful to me than I am to anything. God is more faithful to you than you are to anything. And if we were one bit right this morning in our thinking, we'd praise Him for His faithfulness. we praise Him for His mercy. Because His mercy is here. we praise Him for His faithfulness. Because His faithfulness is here. His righteousness is here. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are as a great deep. So why do we praise the Lord for His righteousness? Because His righteousness is is our righteousness. Amen. It said His righteousness are as the great mountains. Mountains are higher than us. They run deeper than us in the roots of the mountains and they show us the way. That is the righteousness of God. It's beyond measure. It is greater than us. It is enormous. And His judgments are as a great deep. Why should we praise God for that? Because if it was not for Him being so good and righteous and holy, you would have no hope. But God made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. His righteousness as great as the mountains and His judgment as the great deep are a picture of God's mercy. They are a picture of God's love and His faithfulness to us that in spite of our unrighteousness, He has an unlimited well of righteousness that He gives to all men freely who will take it. We ought to praise Him this morning for the wonderful blessings and the greatness of the satisfying provision of His mercy, of His faithfulness, of His righteousness. Verse 6 says this, O Lord, Thou preservest man and beast his preservation is here the lord is the one who preserves us and keep us without the preserving hand of god how often would you have destroyed your own life let me ask you a question this morning have you ever stood on the precipice of a decision that you knew would determine the rest of your life have you ever stood on the edge of a temptation That could destroy your home, your marriage, your walk with God. That could destroy your relationship with your church, your relationship as a Christian. Have you ever stood and looked at a, and and, and your flesh, that deceitful, wicked heart, looked at something and said, I would like to have that, but you knew that if you did, it would destroy everything in your life. And how oft has God pulled you back from that? How oft has God in that still small voice whispered to you and said, don't go there. All that is is a path to destruction. Don't look at that. All it is is a path to destruction. Don't listen to them. All that is is an attack of the devil. Don't go that way. It's going to hurt you. How many times has the Lord pulled you back from the precipice? Can I tell you this morning, I felt the hand of God pull me back. You know what that is? The preserving hand of God who puts his hand down and says, No, that ain't me. In me there dwelleth no good thing. I've proved over and over again that I'm not smart when it comes to making good decisions. But I've got a God in heaven who is faithful, who is merciful, and who is righteous. And because of His mercy and His faithfulness and His righteousness, He has preserved me. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you something else. He preserves my salvation. I got saved, and since I got saved, I could not tell you how many hours I have sat in church. I could not number the number of messages I have heard preached. I could not tell you how many Sunday school lessons I have heard taught, and yet, I still fail God. You know what that means? I couldn't preserve my salvation no matter what I did. I could never do it, so He's doing it for me. No man's able to pluck us out of His hand his loving kindness is here in verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O oh God! How excellent is thy loving kindness, O oh God! David said, because he looked at his life and he already said, Man, God has been good in my life. Amen. Has God been good in your life? Are you sure? Has God been good? Brother Tim this morning described countries of whole nations of people who live every moment of their life in this understanding at any moment. The wrong words said to the wrong person and my life could be over today. Now, I'm not trying to belittle the trials that we go through, because we go through trials. And just because they have it worse than us doesn't mean that we don't have it rough sometimes. But we have never been mistreated by God. God has been so good to us that He has poured out so many blessings on us that oftentimes we can't even see our blessings when we're focused on the difficulties of life. David was a man who buried his children as a direct punishment from God. David sinned and God took his children. Now, that's, that's not the case for most. David was made an example. As the king of Israel, he was made an example. You understand that? And after enduring that, David would still have said, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. As he prayed all night when his baby was born, dying, wept and fasted. When the baby had died, he got up, cleaned himself up, and ate. And all those around him were confused. Why would he do this when the baby was alive? Would he weep and mourn? And yet now that the baby's dead, he stands up and eats. David said, well, because when he was alive, there was still a chance God might let the child live. But now that he is gone, he can't come to me. But I can go to him because David understood this even in the darkest moments of life God is good he is kind he loves us and he has prepared a future for those who love him for those who are a part of his household he has prepared a future a moment a day in which all the dark and difficult trials of life will be but a shadow in the light of his kindness. We looked recently there in Ephesians chapter 2 how we understand that God is going to use eternity to show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Because right here in this place in the house of God there is his loving kindness. How excellent is that loving kindness How excellent, O God! Then he said this, Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. David wrote in Psalm 57, 1, he said, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. David knew what it meant to be in great trouble and to find refuge in God. How do you do that? By serving him, by loving him, by praying to him, by talking to him, by reading his word, by meditating on the Lord. David had a relationship with God, and when David looked around at his life, here's what he said, man, it sure is great to be a servant of the Lord. Amen. Are you all with me this morning? There's nothing out there that will give you satisfaction. Amen. There's no amount of drink. No amount of substance abuse. No amount of uh, carnal relationships. No amount of money, God help us, that will ever satisfy you. That is why David said men put their trust under the shadow of God's wings. And then he said this, they... Shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Here's what David said. in God's house there is abundance. That word abundantly satisfied, that, that Hebrew word that's translated there, it is the image like the image of a something being completely soaked through like a sponge. You take a sponge and you squeeze it as tight as you can. And you put it down in that water and you let it go. And once it has absorbed that water, it could not possibly absorb anymore. It is completely filled. That is what it is to be satisfied in God's house. It is to be filled up so much that you have need of nothing. So why is it that so many Christians are wandering around dissatisfied? It's because they're not filling themselves up in God's house. And I, is that these four walls? Well, yeah, it is, but I already told you that's not what the church is. The church is more than that. The church is God's children, it is God's building here, it is God's building in us, and it is the head of the church. That's the Son of God. He is the chief cornerstone, right? We find the fatness, and that word don't mean like we think of fat in a negative sense now. That means abundance, wealth, riches, more than you could ever want. Here's what David said, there's more than you could ever want in the house of God. And you know what made him think about that? Looking at his associate, who at one time was trying to be wise and trying to do good and now had left off and was out in wickedness. And David thought, how could you ever want to go out there when there's so much good right here? He went on to say, thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. What a a horrible lie of the devil who convinces folk that there's no fun and pleasure in serving God. God's house is full of pleasures. I go to church because I want to be there the greatest days I've had the most fun I've ever had had in church with God's people or not in even necessarily in church but with the church with God's people not doing things that are wicked any any quote-unquote fun or pleasure I've ever had in wickedness I only always ended up with regret but I don't regret the good times I've had with God amen I don't have a sour tint to the pleasures of serving the Lord and with God's people because the pleasures of God's house are a river of pleasures. Endless, with no negative effects. Amen. His life is here, for with thee is the fountain of life. His light is here, in thy light shall we see light. He's saying this, if you will walk with God, if you will come... And take the life of God and you will serve God and you will enjoy the riches of God and you will enjoy the pleasures of God and the incredible abundant satisfaction of God and dwell in His light, you will see light. What does that mean? The more you serve Him, the more you will see the light. The longer I serve Him, the song says, the sweeter He grows. It doesn't mean everything in life is easy. It's not. But if I continue to serve God, I understand this. Serving God is good. Being with God is good. Joy with God is greater than any pleasure of the world. That if I will remain in His light, that I will see more light, and I will have more life, and I will have more pleasures, and I will have more joy, and I will have more peace, and I will have more uh, understanding of what is good. Amen. Amen. So why do we want to put a, a stopper on God in our life? We don't, we, yeah, we want God to be a part of our life, but you ain't got to be a fanatic about it. You don't got to let God... I, I like to let God be at church and church stay at church and I don't like to take church home with me. Well, that's no way to live, friend. You're choking yourself out of the fatness of the house of God that could permeate your life and fill you with something you have never known that you could experience. And here's this man, David, look, he said, he's gone out there and his life's now full, full of, of hatred, full of, uh, of, of, of wickedness. What's he looking for? Everything you could ever want's right here. Amen. Light and life and eternity. Oh, continue, he said, thy loving kindness unto them that know thee and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. He asked the Lord, continue. And here's the thing, you know why? because he knows he will because God is faithful and God is going to spend eternity Ephesians 2 7 that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus in the ages to come throughout all eternity God is going to show us his kindness that's what it means to be a part of the satisfaction the satisfying provisions of the house of God I'll close with this In verse 11, David, after observing all the wonderful things that he's a part of right here, after observing all the troubles that his associate is experiencing out there, he says this in verse 11, Let not the foot of pride come against me. Let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. David looked at his life here and he looked at that man's life out there and he said, God, please, don't let that happen to me. It's the serious peril of the wicked. The peril of envy where he said, let not the foot of pride come against me. As he looked at that man flattering himself in verse 2, he said, God, don't let that happen to me. God, please don't let me be risen up in pride that I would slip. He calls it the foot of pride. Help me not to slip and go the wrong way and and mess this up, God. Please, Lord, protect me from the peril of envy and the peril of the enemy where He said, let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are those around us who if they have their way, they would see you removed. You ever had a friend say, why do you go down to that church anyway? That's not your friend. Listen to me, that is not your friend. That is an influence that is trying to hurt you. They want to tear you down to make themselves feel better. Amen. Someone who would say, why are you wasting your time down there at the house of God? Don't listen to them. I was talking to a, a young man last night, and we have a mutual friend who I knew when I was younger, and, and his life has taken him a certain way. There was a time where he was in church and serving God and doing good. And he had some family members who were not involved in church, who were actively trying to pull him out, actively trying to get him to go out and party and drink and and be promiscuous, even as a young man. And eventually, that influence at home pulled him out of church, and now it's been more than a decade since since he spent more than one or two services in church. And his life, can I tell you, since he left, has been one mess after the other. Why? Because there are the enemy out there whose desire is to see you slip. He said, let not the hand of the wicked remove me. Remove me. Don't let them come and move me out from where I am. Help me, God, to stay faithful to church and stay in your way and and stay with God and stay with what's right because right here is everything I need. The reason that my brother, Caleb, puts on that winter youth retreat every year around this time of year is because he is trying to get some young people to see that there is no life better than a life served for Jesus. Amen. And every year when we go back, there's a few who aren't there. My brother got overwhelmed last night as Brother Curtis was preaching on losing people to the devil who could have been the next David, the next Ruth. And Caleb got fired up. I mean, st- and literally stepped over to the pulpit while Brother Curse was preaching. It's crazy. And said. I'm sick of seeing the devil steal our Davids. And when he said that, I thought of two young men. And when Caleb took that church and they started their bus, he brought these young boys in. Caleb would come to the house at mom's and eat dinner, and he'd bring them with him. They didn't have a daddy, didn't have a good home life, and he loved them and he invested in them. Now neither one of them's there. From the time they were 10. The older one was probably about 10 or 11 when they started coming. Now he's probably about 17, 18. The younger one was a little younger. I I think he was there last year. I saw him at one service. Now neither one of them's there. And I know Caleb's heart's broken for them. He still reaches out to them, still texts them. Hey, man, I'd love to see you back at church. Because here's the truth. The wicked want to remove you. The wicked want to remove you. Your friends at school who tug and try to pull and get you to do things you know you ought not to do, they want to remove you. They don't want you to keep serving God. They don't want you to do what's right with God. Your old friends used to hang out with your old buddies from high school, your your old buddies from growing up, even family members who are out of church, and they'll say things, little snide comments, that is all an act of the devil to try and remove you from a life that is abundant. This is the abundant life. The fulfilled Christian life is the greatest life there is. Amen. That's that's the truth. David prayed to God, God, please, don't let pride come against me. God, don't let the hand of the wicked remove me. That's the peril of the enemy. And then the peril of ending. He said this, There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. He was looking at those he had seen fall and never get back up. Such as King Saul. A man who David loved and served. Was kind to and wept for. Never got back up. Saul went towards sin and pride and never got back up. Maybe that's the man who's writing about. Maybe it's someone else. But I can tell you this this morning. The Bible says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Did you know that David's going to fall? I told you, he's going to lose his own sons. He's going to lose his children in horrible ways. One's going to kill the other one and then his captain is going to kill the one that killed his other son. And his younger son's going to take advantage of his own sister and ruin her life. Horrible things are going to happen to his children. Why? Because he's going to fall. But do you know what David did after he fell? He rose up again. You might be here this morning saying, Brother Paul, I hear what you're saying. There was a time when I walked with God and I was experiencing the joy of God and and I was doing right. But to be honest with you, I've kind of strayed a little bit. To be honest with you, I'm kind of going a little bit more in that direction. And I've kind of leaned these ways. And, 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 and I don't, I don't want to fall like David is Well, can I tell you this morning, the difference in a just man, one who's, who's righteous and one who is, who is doing good and one who is not, is that when they fall, they get back up. No one is exempt from falling. We all mess up. We all slip up. We all do and say things we should not do. The difference is, if we want to experience the abundant provision of the house of God, we can't stay down. Where are you at this morning? Are you living in the abundant satisfaction of the fatness of God's house? Or do you have eyes out there You have your desire on earthly things and not on things that are above. Where are you this morning? Are you as close to God as you've ever been? You should be. Well, that's unrealistic. Well, no, it's not. Sure, sometimes we go through valleys. But your your walk with God today should be as established more so than it's ever been if you are growing what that means is to get, you're getting better. Are you this morning growing? Last week I talked about some of the battles I faced last year. And I'll tell you, it's stunning my growth. Sometimes those battles get in our way and they can do that. But this morning you might say, well, Brother Paul, I've not felt that. I've not experienced that. Can I tell you that David said that in his house there is abundant satisfaction? That's what's here. That's what's real Where are you? Where is your walk with God? Where is your satisfaction? Have you set your eyes on what God wants for you? Or are you like that man in the first four verses who has let off doing good? And let off being wise. There is nothing better than Jesus. Let's all stand Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon. and We hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord.